Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Sean. Have you seen that info lately? Which one? It's all over the place. Mm, I, I click on a few links. And what with, the, what with the, uh, the the news that's spreading? Oh, the viral one? The viral news, exactly. You've seen it. I've seen it. I've clicked on it. I share it. So I retweet it. Share. You have to share it. It's important to share it. <laughs> Especially if you just read the title and <laughs> not, right. not the whole content, right? Yeah. Is, is that how misinformation uh, spread? You I think? don't know. You tell me. That's that's what the tweet said. Spread spread this information for us, will you? Yeah, so it must be true. <laughs> it must be true. If it's if it's on the internet, it must be true. Absolutely. <laughs> also, they don't know if you're a dog and the in, on the internet. That's, that's the right. old mammy that we used to have, and uh, definitely not true anymore. But that's that's not what we're talking about here, uh, Sean. We're talking about uh, one topic that we kind of missed we were really close to have this conversation during black hat that just ended uh, a few days ago in las vegas but this is not a conversation that ends when the conference ends this is probably <laughs> a problem that we're facing and we've been facing even before the internet we were facing a propaganda and manipulation of information is nothing new but it got a little bit worse i would say with the with the internet and social media. And uh, that's what we're talking about with our guests today in our episode of Redefining Society. And we're here with uh, Sandra Quincosis. I hope I didn't mess yes. up that. Quincosis. That was a really good first attempt. All right. That's that's my uh, Italian coming in side <laughs> of things. And um, welcome to the show. Thank Let's get you. to the point. Great to be here. Sure. Yeah. 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 Glad you glad you made it. Uh, um, a little bit about yourself. I'm tempted to jump in, but I want to know more about Sandra first. Yes, exactly. That's that's where we start. Uh, share some information about you so that we we can manipulate those informations and use it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, we're not going to do that. Hopefully, in a favorable. You know. <laughs> um, yes. Um, so I have about ten years' experience doing open source intelligence. So OSINT. Um, it's evolutionized quite significantly within that time frame. 
so uh, I initially started, you know, through academia interning and then eventually landed my real job. And my first real job was, you know, exposure to ISIS propaganda on Twitter, basically, and hunting down threat actors and uh, unmasking them. And um, between then and now, I have some private and public sector OSINT experience. Right now, I'm working in the private sector. And you know, I mostly focus on uh, disinformation campaigns around the world. Uh, I'm a Spanish speaker. So in the particular case study I presented at Black Hat, I was looking at Latin America with my team. And we came across some interesting developments in the disinformation space. And it's it's significant in the sense that oftentimes a lot of people are looking at the more popular conflicts in the world. So like a Ukraine, Russia, or pulling out of Afghanistan or just Middle East um, conflict in general and other regions of the world don't get as much attention. So these actors are able to operate over longer periods of time. And it's, it was interesting to see how these types of actors um, did not just developed over time, but how they tackled each campaign. Uh, and it just shows how the world is ever changing and so is the virtual world. So, um, yeah, it's just a little something I learned along the way in all these years working OSINT, really. And uh, actors learn from each other. So a lot of the strategy I saw ISIS doing initially in the beginning of my career, I'm seeing other actors linked to governments um, and others, just private entities also conducting similar strategies. That was like, uh, a lot. <laughs> Sorry. No, I love that. And I guess if, if something works, why not uh, use it until it doesn't, right? If it's not right. broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yep. And if, if you can uh, if you can copy a business model uh, and perhaps even not even compete, right? So you're not going to get caught for copying. Right. Who cares? Uh, go for it. And I think we see that all over the place in, in, in uh, education, students copying each other, right? Businesses copying business model platform. Business model is one example. And so disinformation, and I wanted to touch on this first. And the work you do with OSINT, open source intelligence, uh, is often enabled by technology, but doesn't always require technology, does it? It does not at all, but it does add and enhance and amplify its reach. So it's especially important. I mean, not everybody is on the internet, you know, so there, there are aspects outside of the tech, you know, the internet um, that does affect society. But I would say overall, increasingly people are having more access to the internet and different um, and smartphones, and so they have more access to information that may or may not be misleading. Unfortunately, more often than not, a lot of information is misleading. And uh, that's mostly because everything that's posted on the internet is intentional, right? And if those intentions are aimed at favoring one entity over another, then it becomes problematic. Right. I, I would say... I referred to propaganda at the beginning, right? Because uh, that's always been something that we've been using since the beginning of time. If you can manipulate the mind, you can change the outcomes of something. And and with the internet and social media, you have unfiltered information. Like everybody can post something. And I think that's 
that's the biggest risk of how you control that. Um, so your background actually is in psychology and social psychology. So not, not really not really a technical thing, but uh, as we know now in the in our modern time, we we understand that cybersecurity is absolutely not all about technology. So let, let's get into this kind of approach, your OSINT, and what did you present at a Black Hat in particular? Let's talk a little bit about, about that. Sure. So um, initially I was concerned, well, I was, I'm very grateful that Black Hat selected my research uh, for presentation. It was different than other presentations, right? It was a lot less technical and I was a little bit fearful that it might not attract a large crowd, but I'm very grateful that a really large turnout occurred. <laughs> um, I was just a tad bit nervous, actually. My, this is very sidetracked a little bit here, but my slides weren't working until like two minutes right before my brief was supposed to start. So already like my nerves were like, ah, but eventually I was like, well, I'm already up here. I'll be okay, I guess. There's no turning back and it just went forward with it. Um, I got a lot of good feedback. A lot of people were appreciative that um, we presented something on Latin America because somebody told me there actually that a lot of times these events focus on specific actors, like what is happening in the United States or Black Cat Asia, what's happening in that section of the world and not so much other regions. So they were appreciative of that. And it goes into what I had mentioned earlier, just like these areas, you know, they often go overlooked. So the, what we did was investigate a digital actor that had no identifiable information and was influencing the narratives coming out of Colombia regarding political unrest and the elections. And not only did it do this in Colombia, I mean, we focused on Colombia, but this account had been active from 2018 until 2022 when Twitter uh, suspended it after it started tweeting Ukraine related content. So, um, yeah, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad it was taken down because a lot of its readers weren't aware that it was linked to the Venezuelan government, which is what our investigation did. We followed some of the clues left behind by this account with no identifiable information that was so influential and um, were able to link it to the Venezuelan, uh, a third party company linked to the Venezuelan government. So many questions I have. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start with this first. And just the type of information in an account like this, and I don't know if it was just the one or if there were multiple that, that were used to reamplify across the board and on different different platforms perhaps even. But I'm just wondering, is it is it full scale, very one side, I'm, I'm going all out on misinformation? Or is it I really connect with my audience and they they believe me, they trust me, I'm talking about things that that are real, and then occasionally I drop in this misinformation or disinformation that that they trust me with now, or how, how does that look? Or is there one model, or does it, does it happen like all in different ways all over the place? It happens different ways all over the place, but you touched on something particularly interesting and deceitful, <laughs> and that is mixing the false news or false information among a lot of truthful information or just activity that's going on in the ground that can be reported one-sided, but isn't necessarily false, right? This account was covering protests on the ground and it did give a few instances of um, events that did not really occur, making the administration in Colombia at the time, which is friendly to the US, uh, more friendly, 
um, making it look really bad. Um, but among all that, you know, within, the, I mean, in those small instances, the other, the, much of the content was true. So it was able to capture trust from its audience. It presented thing, um, you know, events in a way that did favor the opposition candidate, which was Gustavo Petro, the uh, the leftist, the first Colombian leftist president, really, <laughs> they've ever had. Um, and the strategy was not something they just did on a whim, right? It was well-planned and it required psychological strategy. <laughs> so it's not that everybody can come in on the internet and get an account and start doing it. Although I feel like a lot of people make take a position nowadays I'm looking at uh, misinformation here in the United States, for example. There are many accounted. It, I think it's become really okay to just outline like yep i'm just gonna say a lie and you deal with it <laughs> you're not even pretending anymore mm -hmm. like so that's that's a little bit different and it's up to you if you want to believe it or not but when it's carved in between the truth i feel like you kind of need to have a certain amount of skills to to do that so i'm wondering was this account operating on its own or was it connected to other major player, maybe national nation states and anything else that was spreading? It Yes, it often spread RT, so Russia's RT state news, um, their perspective on the matters in Latin America and Ukraine, hence the reason why it probably, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for certain that's the reason why it was suspended from Twitter. It's just... Interesting how once it started tweeting about the conflict over there, it was suspended. But it did echo a lot of RT-related content. Um, Venezuela and Russia do have media agreements with one another. Uh, so it, wouldn't, it wasn't surprising to see that echo chamber phenomenon occur. Um, and yeah, and another one, Iran's Spanish language news outlet, Hispan TV, which was suspended from Twitter a long time ago. It also echoed similar coverage from that news agency as well. Just an echo chamber. It was a very interesting account in the sense that it wasn't, it's, there were others similar to it, but this account was active 22 hours a day on average. So we believe there were more than one user operating it. This shows that there was, and it actually engaged a lot with the community. So it wasn't just retweeting and it didn't automate messages. It was, there was actual effort put into it, which could be because of an ideological incentive or financial. We we did investigate that aspect of it, but um, we did see that there was definitely strategy. It was able to interact with inauthentic accounts, with authentic accounts, and with state media from other countries. So it was in the middle, almost just pulling strings when it when it was the right time to. I'm just wondering, so the, the human versus automated, aka bots, um, mm -hmm being involved there and i'm i just so 22 hours a day regardless of who or what's doing it that's a lot of content and it raises a question for me how how does one do a checks and balance against the information there i don't know if it's the platform's responsibility to kind of look at the content that's coming out of it uh is it the the people that are receiving the negative impact of it, are they responsible for 
countering it in some way? And if so, how, I'm just wondering what's the, what's, how do we take this information and actually pick it apart and find out what's good, bad, indifferent, miss, dis information? <laughs> right. Uh, it's a good question. It's definitely a challenge for a lot of social media platforms and for analysts and security specialists in general, um, because even if you do tackle it, tackle it one way, they'll adapt and do something else. <laughs> so um, one of the arguments I raised in the in the brief at Black Hat was that it's important to know the source of where your information is coming from. So for instance, uh, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, they do often uh, list when an account is linked to a, a government of a country. So I'll use RT as an example. It does say it's linked to the Russian government and other similar entities. But then you have accounts like this one, right, with no identifiable information, no known you know, it's able to operate operate with impunity. It's no liability whatsoever because nobody knows who's behind it. So it's important to know who that source is to understand. Now, if I know this account, you know, it's tweeting all this information and the actors behind it are linked to the Venezuelan government. That makes a lot of sense to me now. I understand why I'm reading things from the perspective that it's being presented. Um, and I, But I also understand geopolitics, which are not a lot of other people might not. So they wouldn't understand that so much. So, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, a, a domino effect. You need to, it, we're still in the beginning stages, I think, in general as a society. Personally, I think this, um, trying to tackle this problem, you know, we're starting with something and maybe we're onto something. But then again, um, people must be on top and companies should be on top of the sources of this information because that's how you can really come in front of something instead of just being responsive to the content because once it's there already like a million people could have seen it within two minutes. Right. Yeah. So talk to me about the, the sourcing or the sources and the attribution of them. Cause it sounds like a lot of the research you did um, found that it was linked to the government entity. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that comes to mind is, well, how do we know that it, that that's true? Um, that it isn't just fake connection to make it look like it's connected to that entity <laughs> so so how uh, can you describe no, no, don't give any secrets away that uh, that would prevent you from doing further work in this area but how, how do you do the research to find the connections and ultimately the attribution so this this account and not all accounts had this have this so it was it would have been a challenge had it not been so upfront about everything this particular account. Uh, so it had a Telegram channel linked in its bio. So of course, the natural thing for an investigator to do is look in that channel and just to see any interesting tidbits, right? I, we had no expectations going in. We just wanted to see what, what was going on in there. Um, and all of a sudden, we see an, a user that had listed admin next to its name. So the fact that this account Chaleco Samaril, which we haven't named in this yet, so Chaleco Samaril was the user, had this Telegram channel linked, and its admin is a separate entity, not Chaleco Samaril, <laughs> um, raised some red flags for us. So naturally, what we did was just Google <laughs> who is this entity, and um, we found some other names linked to it, and from there, we were able to see this name, you know, what a LinkedIn profile to see what company he works with. And through that company's where we made the connections to the Venezuelan government. 
um, they were just very transparent about everything. But it's it's usually not the case. But in it was a good example of following the right clues that can lead you. And we didn't just, so in our initial report in March, because we had a publication that did come out, um, we made certain connections. We had very strong assumptions that it was linked to the Venezuelan government just because of the leadership in this one company that was linked to that entity in the Telegram channel. Um, he used to work for the government. He has friends in the government, very high level officials, but we didn't quite get into the technical stuff. Um, and then in preparation for the Black Hat brief, I went back to that company and I looked at their Facebook page and I saw that it was active since 2009. And I'm like, how could I have missed this? First of all, <laughs> like my team and the initial <laughs> um, research. Um, and in 2009, it was called something else. And that something else is what revealed the actual links to the government of Venezuela. So uh, through the um, Ministry of Information and Communications, because it had registered the website linked to that Facebook page. So when you take down one of these, when you unmask one of these, first of all, we know there is already many others and uh, probably someone else is going to take his place. It's kind of like when we see, you know, every, you know, even terrorist organizations, like, oh, we just get the head of it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, now who is going to be the next one coming up, right? So do you think we are ever going to get to a way that we can prevent this from happening, maybe uncovering it quickly? Do you think maybe... Okay, so I I see a, a little. It's a very fine line between democratizing information and not policing information, nineteen eighty four style, versus policing right away mm -hmm. what could be an alert, but what if it's not? So, is there a balance that maybe we're moving towards a? a, a guaranteed or at least even more guaranteed truth in the things that we see on social media? I think it's very unrealistic to think policing will solve the problem. And I think it starts with education in society, in schools, for instance, um, learning cyber hygiene or how to basically read information on the internet in a way that it doesn't affect your your perception as strongly as it does because um, I, I think, I mean, I see it in my own, like the older generation of my family personally, they'll read something and be like, did you hear this? And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> you know, um, where did you get that information from? Oh, I don't know. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know? So just having some basic understanding of the internet in general would be extremely helpful because be, just, I hate to use this example, but um, human trafficking or, you know, sex trafficking, if there wouldn't be a demand for it, it wouldn't be as popular, right? So, I mean, that's a, a thought. So for, if people are going to Twitter to look at protest events or things that happen during protests, that's where you're gonna find the most disinformation, right? That's where you're gonna find a lot of the narrative. Um, and unfortunately, uh, well, other and other, other social media platforms as well, like WhatsApp and other encrypted platforms as well. But it's just educating people so that the 
it just doesn't, there's no uh, desire to do it as much, you know, or if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about checking the news. Don't believe to everything that is told to you. And I mean, I go back, I've used this example before, but when I was studying, you know, sociology of communication, one of the things in, in studying media was even back in the days, read three different newspapers. I know nobody has the time to do that, right? You, if you're reading on the leftist newspaper, maybe you want to check what the one in the center and the one on the right is saying and see, you know, if it's an official source. That's why it's so hard to unmask it when everything is in use, like right? you don't have an editor or, or an editorial, you know, entity that is checking if the, the news is true or not. So that's well, some, some things, and even in quote unquote proper publications, um, not the Twitter sphere, proper publications host opinion pieces, yeah, which are opinions, <laughs> may, <laughs> may, maybe. Their opinions they feel are facts, and they present them as such. Mm -hmm. I'm just—I got caught up in one. And I was like, "This sounds so off from what everything else that I've seen. Mm -hmm. how, how is this real?" I, I, I just—but it was presented as yes, an opinion piece. But boy, there was there was some pretty harsh and uh, and direct statements in there. So I'm wondering, are we limiting? this disinformation to social media platforms or have we crossed over into traditional media? Even, even if it's just as simple as them reporting on a stream of viral tweets <laughs> that, that are saying something, right? I think it depends on the generation um, where people are checking their news. And there's research behind that, that malicious actors use to strategize their information campaigns. So, you know, uh, you're less likely to see somebody in their 20s checking traditional news for their information. They're more likely to log onto social media. And then you get that feed of what's the trending hashtag. You know, I logged onto Twitter the other day and I saw that uh, Governor DeSantis was under fire for some of the statements he said just the other day, simply because my IP is coming out of Florida. So it's like, hey, you might find this interesting, <laughs> but it's political. And, um, you know, with that hashtag, you come across all sorts of different information that may or may not be true or that can be presented in a certain way. So it's just really depends. It's again, there's one other thing I bring up in my brief is that there's a lot of research that goes behind these campaigns and malicious actors can use that to plan an operation. Um, so that's a really good example. OK, if you want to target this particular group, you know, you're going to use a traditional media website or a traditional media source in general to put out information and that the way you do that might be different from the social media strategy, right? To tackle the other population of interest. And you, you mentioned to divulge this information maybe during another conversation. So if about a protest, people may be more vulnerable. Still vulnerable here. yes exactly yeah. it's kind of like when you we talk about social engineering i remember mm -hmm. many conversations where you're like you know it's easier to make you click on something when they put a sense of urgency when we put a sense of you know maybe we're close to the holidays people are more open to interaction i mean there is a lot of psychological aspect that that goes into this we're talking about manipulation of information and this information for a political 
gain in this case, mm-hmm. but we could consider this and as a as a more global and general problem because you I mean even in COVID disinformation, for example, I'm just throwing this there or or many any other thing that you want to create disinformation for, mm-hmm. are you going to use the same technique and just change your audience? Or there are actually other techniques that could be used for other sort of spheres? I think it depends on the actor and what the desired outcome is. But there's definitely not one way because then that would make the solution a lot easier. Mm. Um, so, for instance, I have I also teach at Florida International University. And I had my students compare RT reporting in three different languages because they have several different languages for their news uh, reporting. (laughs) So, uh, and I told them, what's the difference in, you know, tell me what's the difference that you noted between the languages? And they compared English, Spanish, and Russian. And there were some key differences in the way news was reported and the focuses that the outlet wanted people to be aware of, right? Uh, so that was quite interesting. And I think a lot of it is just extremely catered and how much capability does the actor have to cater to a particular audience, right? Because there are less sophisticated actors that can do disinformation campaigns and, but they're caught a lot easier because it's just not the effort. The amount of effort isn't there compared to these more sophisticated actors that are able to really find a target and cater messaging towards it, if that makes any sense. It is a huge problem. Yeah. And I want to touch on, not too deep, but a little bit of the, the tech aspect of this because uh, I don't know, you, you described, you've mentioned strategies and plans and, and uh, different ways to implement uh, these things and different ways to use technology to, to accomplish the, the goals. Certainly. Uh, yeah. So, there is a degree of sophistication that goes, like, for instance, if one were to develop a sock puppet, so an actual user behind an unidentifiable, like, social media account, for instance, um, and if you wanted to create several of these, right, and operate it, uh, it would be one person operating several of these accounts, it would require a degree of sophistication and technical uh, technical knowledge to do so. Um, and this is a common thing that companies offer for, you know, things like political marketing, for instance, which is what the Venezuelan company said they did, by the way, the actor behind the account we we investigated, political marketing. And then it becomes blurry then, right? Uh, what is political marketing versus campaigning? And how does that, you know, if you're showing favorable content towards a candidate and denouncing another, where do you draw the line between disinformation or campaigning? Right. It, it just becomes a lot more complicated. Um, and but again, just to go back to your question, because I started going now, now another rabbit hole. <laughs> um, it, it, there is again, it depends on the actor. There is a degree of sophistication and technical knowledge to be able to be to conduct a successful operation for sure. Well, I, I feel like I mean, I'm going to just try to summarize this in a way that you go into this political marketing versus campaign and it's just a big blur but this is what happened in 2016 for you know the the, the disinformation for the american election for example right i mean we have a company 
that got all this information, they used it to, to do advertising. And then, of course, even if you look back in the days, who were the organization creating political campaign, they were advertising agency. I mean, back in the 60s, back in the 50s, the people that sell you a product are the people that they also sell you a candidate because they know how to, again, manipulate information, except that in one case, and this is where I can connect with what you said, is to sell you a product. Armless, not harmless, but I don't know. Still, psychological manipulation is but then you can cross into the person that is going to be running your government for the next four years or two years or whatever it is, or forever. If it's a dictatorship, then, then you have a different problem. So I guess, how do you use different measure and different approach to resolve this problem? And, and I guess my question is, what is ahead of us? Are we going to have this repeating itself, the story repeating itself all the time? Well, like I mentioned earlier um, in this in this call, the actors adapt, they learn from each other. So, you know, what ISIS had done, for instance, using hashtags that were popular in Europe and then just using those to draw attention to their gruesome videos or some sort of propaganda. Companies in, involved in political marketing do the same thing <laughs> or just entities involved in disinformation campaigns and information operations in general do this as well. Um, there is a cycle to it. So there is a request, obviously, that goes into it, a um, planning stage, a research stage, a planning stage, operation, a review, and then you re-engage. So that's how they're able to adapt. It is marketing. Um, and it doesn't look pretty from here because a lot of the what what is appealing to people is to feel superior, right? Um, that's social identity theory right, um, to feel superior. And so having that us versus them be the center of these campaigns is really harmful. It's divisive and it causes extreme extremism in ideology in general. And it could enhance your social identity, how you identify with a political ideal or, yeah, I mean, just look at the World Cup. That's when people are like, yay, you know, I'm very Spanish, even though I'm like four generations, like, Spanish, you know, but you have that sense of pride a little because, but it's it's one of those things you just start really aligning and then you you re, you get into it and if if something challenges your identity then you you respond in a way that's more irrational so it's just a big old mess so that's why I I, I do advocate personally for education starting in schools for people to understand how the internet works. The malicious aspects to it because there are a lot of benefits as well which they do learn in school but the malicious aspects they don't and how to also from a cybersecurity perspective um how to identify you know um, potential harmful content or emails that can lead to other things like stealing identity for this reason to conduct an io <laughs> you know uh one thing i would say as an example actually is i know a lot of young kids there were these Facebook challenges, um, not on Facebook. It's really just across the board because I saw them in Twitter too, of people saying, "Oh, your first car and your first this is your new, you know, screen name," and people were like, "Oh, Mazda, red, whatever." And and you know, these are questions that are asked for authentic to see if your password is authentic or not. 
So, but it, again, going down back to education, it comes down to that, just educating society. And that will, you know, present a bigger challenges for those wishing to do harm through information operations. And maybe as we, as we wrap here, our final question for me, uh, maybe a little more succinct this time, just do we know of any unintended consequences? So maybe one particular group is trying to control uh, the other side of the party line, right? But that might have an impact on relations with another country or, or uh, impact on a particular group of people that they didn't see coming. Do we have any signs of, of that unintended consequences or side effects of, of some activities? There's always a consequence that, that because we're so interconnected now in general, uh, it, there's always a side effect that affects, uh, affects the global community in some aspect. Um, if for instance, just the IO operations in the US elections in general over the years, uh, you know, we saw different leaderships under President Donald Trump and then now President Joe Biden, um, completely different um, strategies on foreign policies. And that doesn't have an effect on people on the ground you know, in other countries as well. And a lot of the way people view the United States as well from other countries, right? They'll see there's a perception that supporters of certain candidates are are, are a little bit on the loony side and the other, it, so it, it does have a, a ripple effect, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a couple of things I'm gonna say just to, to close this. One is, Honestly, it's common sense, which is not that common lately. And maybe because there is a lack of education and because there has been a gap in the way that people jumped into a life, a social life without the internet and social media with the internet, not really understanding that. I mean, just the you know, the phishing campaign for information, as you just said, it's, I mean, we are in this industry, but a lot of people, they just don't see it. And I, it's not their fault. Nobody told them to pay attention to these things, right? So there is that. And the other one it, that is, I, I feel like is the most dangerous is this extreme that are starting to develop. Like we, we're going more and more away from, from a center conversation, focus on the interest of uh, a certain society, a country, and we just find this divisive approach to things because social media are bubbling yourself in reinforcing your opinion and surrounding yourself with people that are sharing your own view. And I think that's that's one of those things that is a prophecy that self you know manifest and become true so why is there not more food in my feed then i don't know <laughs> maybe right. maybe you're in the wrong in okay. the wrong circle that sounds like disinformation to me marco yeah, <laughs> i'm not experiencing that well you know maybe you need new friends I think on, so. online and right. i'm not i'm not the right I'm one my friend online <laughs> i want to tell the public that um to be particularly careful reading information on the internet during vulnerable instances in society. So when there's been protests, this is something we saw in our case study that we presented at Black Hat, but we've seen across the board too, during election seasons or political protests, 
um, the information that it, people are looking for information, like I mentioned earlier, at different in, on different platforms, right? Some generations will look at the traditional news source, others will look to social media. But on social media, you'll more easily come across content that is quick, more impactful quickly. You don't need to read it, right? You could just see a meme or you can watch a video instantly and have an emotional reaction to that. And the way it's presented is important. So um, just to be careful about what you read, what you see, how it's, and, and just question how it's presented and the source that it's coming from if you're not familiar with it, especially during vulnerable times in society. I think this is a great advice that uh, everybody should listen to. And we will also, as we wrap, uh, add uh, resources. So Sandra, if you want to share anything in relation to your research and your presentation, please uh, share it with us. We'll put it in the notes for everybody to to read. And uh, I'm sure this is not, it wasn't the first, it would not be the last conversation about misinformation <laughs> and manipulation of, and the consequences that for our everyday life, our government, our policies, and, and even our economy. Because, you know, we didn't touch on that, but you can change a day in the market, on the stock market really easy with some some weird tweet from some person with a lot of followers. So, but thank you so much. And please, people, if this conversation made you think that we, we succeeded because we may not have the final answer, but we, we have a lot of questions and we want you to question everything, especially if it doesn't sound right, maybe you want to double check that. Or so, too right. <laughs> or, or too, too right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's a good point. Too. So it's too good to be true. Maybe right. it's not right. true. Right. Well, Sandra, thank you very much. Thank you Sean, for being part of uh, Redefining Society as we, we will keep uh, Redefining Society because either we talk about it or not, it's going to change and redefine itself anyway. So thank you very much. Thanks, Sandra. Thank you for having me. Okay. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.